0: Welcome to Failing Forward. Today we're talking to Peter Lockerty from CARE and Matt Freeman from Emory University who were involved in the WASH Plus project which ran from 2006 to 2019 with support from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and focused on WASH in schools in Kenya and how we could use research to get the government to change the way it was implementing policy and running school WASH programs. Peter and Matt had some great thoughts to share. So, we've split this podcast into two one focusing very much on research methodologies, and one focusing more on how we plan research for advocacy and scale. Today's podcast is going to focus on research and what we can learn when we answer the implementation question instead of the academic question. Peter and Matt, can you introduce yourselves, please?
1: I'm Peter Lockery, the
2: ex-director of the water team at CARE.
1: I'm Matt Freeman. I'm associate professor of environmental health at Emory University in Atlanta. As I reflect on the past 13 years... It's useful to think about where we started in 2006. There, there was really limited evidence, and it was not a subsector that had a lot of attention. There was generally an understanding that Washington schools was an important enabling environment for learning. There was a real dearth of evidence around what that meant and also what could be done in schools and what should be done. It's interesting to go back and think about that because now you Washington, know, Russian schools targets are part of the SDGs. There's quite a bit more evidence. And I think there's a lot more attention around things like menstrual hygiene that were not even really on anyone's radar. Swash actually was fairly catalytic driving that conversation, not only in Kenya and through the work of the project itself, but also the ripple effects of the other projects that came after it.
0: The context you're describing is one where there's some pretty unique features. It's early in the days of thinking about generating evidence out of an implemented project at all, as opposed to research as standalone. In a sector that's a little bit of an orphan, what are some of the key challenges you faced?
2: There was immediate tension between doers, researchers, The researchers wanted a clearly laid out plan. Please tell us how you're going to implement this program so that we can work with you to generate the evidence. And the doers who normally work in a way of trying something, if it doesn't work, they immediately innovate And then they come back with with evidence that perhaps isn't what the researchers want, because they've strayed from the research protocol. And that was one of the major challenges that had to be resolved.
0: Matt, tell us about what that looks like from the research perspective.
1: We may take it for granted in 2019, the specter of implementation research that integrates learning and practice together. We are really building this relationship without many guideposts. One of the early wins was that we, Emory, were in the field and had recognized that there were some sustainability challenges with the intervention, the way that it had been delivered. One of the challenges of being a learning partner is that you're trying to generate data, but you also want to understand how that data can be taken up in a constructive way by partners. And using our time machine, going back, I think Gates Foundation in the past 20 years has done a really good job in really promoting this idea of learning critically together, and that failure is an acceptable thing to talk about so long as you learn from it. But that wasn't really the modus operandi in the development sector at that time. Early on, we led an initiative where we wanted to go out and understand the sustainability of our intervention. Instead of going out and hiring some enumerators and going out and collecting the data independently, it was actually a joint exercise so that Alex Mwaki, and I think at the time it was Ben Oketch, went out with the team and did the surveillance visits together and then came back to the office and did debriefs on what they saw And what they could do to change. It was really a very closed loop of generating the data and learning from the challenges and being open and honest between researchers and implementers as a really learning partnership. One of the papers published was co authored by Emory and Care around this experience. Though not necessarily a highly cited paper, I think it really built the trust within the team and it enabled us to build this learning partnership and have the trust that Emory as a research institute wasn't there to collect data and disappear with it into the kind of academe, and also that we were really invested in this. Folks on the ground that really cared about the implementation and had some access to understanding what the data meant and were able to quickly decide how to change the program in order to improve the fidelity and adherence of, of the interventions. One of the hallmarks of the program was how we were able to be nimble, both as, you know, as, a, as a learning partnership, responsive to the government's needs, but also responsive to where the evidence was taking us in order to answer a big question with a lots of little studies, opportunistic and also rigorous.
2: The study that Matt is referring to was actually looking at uh, sustainability. We actually went back and looked at some work that CARE had done prior to the start of first WASH Plus. The initial findings was that the interventions had been sustained. When we did this study that Matt is uh, referring to, we found that WASH facilities and services had not been sustained in the uh, majority of schools. This is where the trust comes in, because it takes a significant amount of trust to admit to such a finding. That sort of set the scene, I think, as Matt has said, for later work that we were prepared to talk about a failure and then attempt to address that failure. The other thing that was important at the time was to make the doers understand that the normal rules of the game didn't always apply in this case. Everybody, including the donor, wanted strong performance. But that strong performance was generating evidence. It was not about delivering sustainable services when people fail, they have a fear for their positions, their jobs. Nobody wants to be associated with a failing project. So we had to get over all that and realize that where we were starting from was an an incomplete understanding of school wash. We, the doers, certainly didn't have all the answers. And we were on a journey to try and discover those answers
0: Matt, how about you? What did that look like from a researcher perspective?
1: Those early days of SWASH where we were working well with our government stakeholders, with CARE, and with with our local academic partner, Great Lakes University of Kisumu, to identify challenges and not be so dogmatic around the most important academic question, but actually thinking about what the real practical questions were in order to innovate and push sectoral learning around WASH in schools.
0: Can you give an example of a trade-off between a very academic question and the practical question?
1: The large WASH trials we might talk about now are very efficacy-focused. Does WASH impact health? And I think ours was very effectiveness-focused. We were looking at interventions that were scalable. We were working closely with the implementing partner, which I think is another important component. We were also asking implementation questions. So some of the first mini-randomized control trials that we did, they weren't around health or education questions. They are around sustainability questions and around behavior change questions. So we saw that soap was a major issue. And so we did a mini RCT, which was kind of a short, kind of inexpensive trial, testing out different approaches to improving hand-washing behaviors in, in school. That's not a study that's ever going to be published in a big name, high-impact journal, which is kind of what academics like. But it, it was an important question in understanding how we functionally improve delivery of washing schools.
0: Short and inexpensive are not usually words you hear attached to an RCT description. Talk about how you made that happen.
1: Actually, you're hearing it more now. The World Bank is really focusing a lot on this kind of evidence generation now. They have whole calls out for low-cost, quick trials. What really was the hallmark of success is that we had the flexibility as a partnership to pivot. And we were in the kind of early days of the WASH program at Gates Foundation. And we had a project officer who was very outspoken about the need to learn from failure and very permissive in allowing us to pursue these kinds of questions if they resulted in learning.
0: Did you have a sense at the beginning of the project of what kinds of those studies you would need, or how many, or did that all evolve?
1: All evolve. If we look at the early version of the proposal, we were gonna do a big RCT to look at the impact of Washington schools on absence. Through that, get the government to scale up to, I think, 1,500 schools. Through the early years of that first phase, we realized that that wasn't the right approach.
0: You described going from an initial proposal that was, we're going to do one big RCT, to taking a much more incremental approach. We're going to do a smaller piece. We're going to ask an opportunistic question. We're going to have some rigorous data around that. Was there any kind of an aha moment when you realized you had to make that shift?
2: At the end of year three, you have enough evidence to convince governments of the potential of investing SchoolWash But we still have some pieces missing in that we don't know how to do it in an efficient and effective way at scale. And we need to find out how to do that. We need to have a phase
0: two. Matthew, what about from your perspective? Did you have sort of an aha moment about, oh, one big RCT might not be the answer here?
1: After the big RCT, the 135 school RCT, we did spend a year or two doing several of these sub-studies looking at, for example, hand contamination. There was an interesting finding where we realized that the schools that had received sanitation and hand washing, the kids had appreciably worse fecal hand contamination than those that didn't receive an improved toilet. Our conclusion from that was the kids were using these new toilet facilities at the school that were constructed. They liked them but that the real limitation of operation and maintenance of the hand washing was problematic because they weren't able to wash their hands. So we're basically unintentionally leading to greater fecal exposure among kids. We did a couple of these other little sustainability studies where we provided funds for a janitor or we provided kind of boots and cleaning materials to try to understand what could be done to actually improve the cleanliness of toilets, for example. I think it was the end line of the main study where we realized that the fidelity was good, we delivered the intervention, but that there were a lot of other pieces missing that didn't make all the parts come together as a whole. So in terms of the aha moment, I think it was kind of in the middle, as Peter said, maybe year two or three of the first phase, which ended up being about six years, where we realized going to scale with what we currently had was not the right approach and that we needed to learn a lot more about the mechanisms of delivery, operation and maintenance.
0: Circling back to an earlier point, Matthew, you talked a little bit about having sometimes to trade off between a core academic goal and an implementation goal. Peter, from your perspective, did we ever have to do the reverse, make some trade-offs on implementation in order to ensure the right rigor in the data?
2: I can give you an example of one trade-off we should have made but didn't. We wanted to know whether schools would be able to implement improvements to their WASH facilities without external support from CARE and other partners. So we replicated the approach used by the Ministry of Education, which was transfer funds directly to a school account. So we selected 10 schools, and we arranged for the funds to be transferred directly to the school accounts. And then we monitored what happened. And then at the end, we had huge problems with the financing, because schools were giving us one price in their estimate, they signed a contract for a different price. And then the end, they paid the contractor yet another price. And of course, That created enormous problems for care and accounting and care being accountable to the donor. What we should have done is gone to the donor and said, we can't do this accounting down to the nearest dollar. We can get it down to about plus or minus $100, but schools are not competent enough to finalize the accounts to our normal standard." But we spend a lot of time in trying to get the schools to explain what they've done with this additional $100. That's where you need a donor that's willing to accept trade-offs. And you also need uh, flexibility within the implementing organization to understand what's the important aspect here. Is it demonstrating that schools are or are not competent to utilize funds? Or is it that we chase down every dollar that's spent?
0: based on this whole experience, what's one action that you'd recommend?
1: The implementation research angle of this is critically important, and I think it's something that we need to do much more of in the WASH sector. I think we need to go back to basics a bit. We need to understand the impact of WASH on health and education, when WASH is delivered well, and the challenge is we need to continue to push on this aspect of how WASH can be delivered well, and I think there's a lot of institutional learnings within different organizations, but I think that there's quite a gap between the academic community that look at WASH and the operations of WASH. There are other sectors that do a much better job of marrying operational questions with rigorous evidence. I think the biggest accomplishments of SWASH increased funds for WASH-in schools, operation and maintenance specifically, and that really came from the original, RCTs, but then also was part of the second phase where we conducted a life cycle costing analysis of schools in three counties and came up with an estimate for what would be needed to improve operation maintenance at schools beyond just the provision of capital expenditures. And and the government actually raised the line item for Washington schools by something around that amount as a result of many things, but definitely the kind of lifecycle costing study played a role in that. Throughout this 13-year journey, these policy outcomes were because of close collaboration with the government, of strong learning partnership within the grantees, but also flexibility around methodologies. So using large RCTs, rapid RCTs, qualitative methods, microbiological methods, costing methods, we really used fit-for-purpose methodologies to answer policy-relevant questions in collaboration with the government.
0: Thanks for listening to Failing Forward. Stay tuned for next week where we listen to the other half of this podcast and Peter and Matt talk about how you plan evidence for advocacy and scale.